Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I gotta tell you, we have a great, we have a great guest tonight. He's uh, been a part of so many um, great TV shows, you know, maybe The Wire or Orville or Walking Dead and so many more, and he has a podcast called Humble Hollywood with Chad, and my guest is Chad Coleman. How you doing, Chad? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. So I want to start, what made you decide to do a podcast? Well, uh, communications is something that I've always been interested in um, growing up, whether it was radio, the, the local DJ in uh, Richmond, Virginia, or wanted to be a broadcaster, you know, so those things were of interest to me uh, always. So um, also just the whole conundrum of being in Hollywood and and trying to maintain humility. And so that was very important to me as well. And um, I just feel like we've lost the art of good conversation. Everything is so polarizing now and people talk at each other instead of to each other. So um, I just wanted to put my foot in the ring with um, with good, honest, nurturing conversation. Um, I know how fulfilling it can be to have a great conversation think about it like from the standpoint of being on the plane I and mean, you sit beside someone and you end up just you find this connectivity and I, I just think it's really important that we find ways to connect with each other since it's so divided now it's funny you say that because i lived in la for many years and i'm from back east and i remember when i would go i lived in burbank and i would go to one bar and i'm, I'm from the philadelphia area and when i saw someone if they had a phillies hat on or an eagles hat we would just start talking and you're right it would gain momentum would be like oh what part of philly i was in new jersey and everyone would say you're not from philly you're from new jersey but you're right there is such a diverse diversiveness now and, and it, it's really sad because I mean, I mean, think back when you were younger, probably when you were a young actor, too. You probably had some really engaging conversations with people who were studying with you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that that was that was pretty much the linchpin of the of the experiences. The, the, even though we had the commonality of the arts, it, it was all about communicating with each other. It was all about talking, whether we were talking about the play, talking about our lives talking about our dreams it was always about communication now who are some of the people you've had on your show i know you have some co-hosts i mean give me the format of the show how what's a typical show going to be like well the, the a typical show my my co-hosts are uh dawn noel and speaking of philly dawn's uh, a dancer out of philly but she's an actor and a producer as well and and a very inquisitive person and then Eden Sharon is Israeli, and I wanted that international perspective and just the lens that she could look through that we couldn't. So, you know, it makes for a very interesting team. And we've all known each other for quite some time, and we're also all actors. So we all are very inquisitive and have a sense of humor and strong points of view. So, um, and, you know, living in the... Everything is about inclusion as far as I'm concerned. So I definitely mm -hmm. wanted the female perspective. Um, and the guests are, we've had everyone from Frankie Faison to Ernest Dickerson to Malik Yoba to uh, an astronaut, Don, uh, Dan Tanny, and um, uh, celebrity psychologist, Jeff Gadeer. Um, we're open. We're open to the type of guests we have. I, I want the opportunity to showcase that I can have a conversation with anybody. Isn't that important for my show? I've gone from, you know, actors, musicians to TV writers. I've even had some athletes. And it's true. Good conversation is good conversation. Once you start talking to someone, if you get a certain point, I mean, a lot of times for me, I don't really write questions. I just go with the interview. And I think that's right. it should be organic. And a lot of people don't want organic. They want, like, structure. And it's like that's not what conversation is anymore. That's correct. So, and and when you have, you can, we have some guide points, you know, we may have a few questions. I don't, because my style is to ask questions and listen and listen well. If you listen well, you'll know where to go or you'll know where the guest wants to go. So that that's how it is for me. 
Now, uh, Eden is more of a, you know, she, she, she likes to queue up some questions. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great mix because it, it, it has a bit of both. Now, it's really all about the guests. It is. And, you know, that's because, like I say, for me, people don't want to hear me. They want to hear you. I mean, people are, you know, that's the thing. Um, right. Now, I want to ask you, how did you get into acting? I know you're from Richmond, and you've been acting for a, a long time, and you've booked so many roles. But when did when did the bug hit? Were you, because you're a big guy. I'm sure you were an athlete. I mean, I, I meet so many actors no, who, well, see, a no, lot of actors. Uh, okay, because a lot of actors wrong. are athletes, and they go, they take a drama class, and they see all the girls, and they go, oh, the hell being yeah. an athlete. Well, no, I was a little guy. I, I didn't gain size until I went into the military and started lifting weights. Um, I was a little guy, and um, but I was always enamored with language, storytelling. Um, I tell people when I, for me, tracing it back, my first public performance was actually um, reading Dr. Seuss out loud for the fourth grade class. And I was reading it so well the teacher went to get the principal. Now the principal wasn't in, so the the assistant principal came in and but you know, I was that was my first public performance and I love the feedback and the adoration and I love language and I love reading. So I think that was like the basis for me. And then there used to be um what was it called? Uh, the the mag Scholastic magazine, and uh, and and so in English class we all had to read Scholastic magazine, and there was always a play in there, and I was always compelled to to try to do it for real, and everybody's looking at me like, why are you doing that? So I don't think I didn't get into acting. Acting got into me. Uh, I think actors are born. Yes, anyone can do it. You can do it, and. You can um, learn the skill, and, but true actors for me are born. So it, it was just, it was in me. And um, also once, you know, I, I started to, we were fortunate enough to have a, a high school drama teacher who had gone to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and in its heyday. Now he took, what appeared to be a negative, which he did, which was him not being invited back for the second season, um, or for the second year. And he came home and gave all of that to some young African-American kids in uh, Richmond, Virginia. So we were learning technique by the time I was a sophomore in high school. And um, I had an out-of-body experience doing a scene from A Raisin in the Sun and it was a very dramatic scene. And what he was telling me was, son, you're doing a great job saying it, but it has to come from here. And he jammed his finger into my gut. And he said, you know, okay, go off stage and I don't care what you think about, but come back and fulfill the emotional obligations of the scene. And um, so that was substitution. And that's, that's what we were learning right there. So whenever you have a scene, where you don't feel alive in it, you use something from your personal life and um, you substitute that within your mindset. And and what happened was, you know, the waterworks came and, you know, it was just an amazing experience that everybody was like, wow, how'd you do that? So that was it for me. By the time I was 14, 15 years old, I already knew this is it for me. This is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Um, so a bit of a certain circuitous route to get to, to New York, but, uh, uh, but I got there. So, uh, but yeah, it was, it was amazing. And then when, when, when I was on stage, I just felt at home, uh, and the, that haze over the audience was just magical and, um, just a lot of adrenaline and excitement. It was always fun. And, I also love the uh, ensemble nature of the theater and just you end up with a lot of friendships, just as we spoke about a bit about um, amazing friendships. So it was just, it was fun. It's like, I've, I, I don't want to work for a living. So, <laughs> well, how, okay, I got a question for you. Uh, you joined the military. 
Now, you wanted to get into acting. Now, now, what was your path to the military? Did that help you with the discipline in acting, or did that help you grow at all? No, 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 no. no. There, no. I, I was a video cameraman in the military. And what happened was, initially, I was accepted into Tisch School of the Arts. Uh, I auditioned, and at that point, at that time, I was a ward of the court of the state of Virginia. I didn't have legal parents, even though I was living with my grandmother, because I was had already been in the foster care system since I was 11 months old. So at one at, at a certain point, my foster parents left Richmond to go to Boston, and I chose not to go because my brothers and sisters weren't going. And um, so that put me in the position of being awarded the court of the state of Virginia. So I thought I had a free, free ride to Tisch School of the Arts. And Ronald Reagan changed the whole, took the whole program off the books, and it just you know, uh, threw me off the path because I couldn't afford to go. So I went to Virginia Commonwealth University, which it was a wonderful training program. But again, I, I'm telling you, I had already, I understood technique. We were, I was already doing these things in high school. So I was ahead of the game. So I was bored and I stayed for one year. And then I said, well, let me go in the military and get a vocation I can use in New York while I'm pursuing my career. And as I said, communications was always something I found very interesting. And I walked into the recruiter's office and just asked the question, what do you have in communications? He showed me something called 84 Foxtrot, an audiovisual specialist. And he described the terms of the job as it included a lot of travel and doing radio and television and being taught radio and television as well from every aspect. Uh, in front of the camera, behind the camera, of radio, you know, radio DJ, uh, editing, all these things. I was like, let's go. And he's like, well, you got to wait and because the, the school's not going to open up to a particular time. So I said, okay, fine, I'll finish up my first year at VCU. And, um, and then off I went. And it was an amazing experience with that. Um, I was stationed at the Pentagon initially. So... Uh, Howard University was right there, and I, I I used to do monologues for my sergeants, and yeah, but Coleman, that's good. Coleman, do that one again, Coleman. That's good. Coleman's an actor, y'all. Watch him do it, you know. And they were all very supportive, but they were artists as well because they were video cameramen, they were photographers, you know, they were artists too. It just happened to be in the military, and. Um, and then I called up Howard and end up studying with the, the greatest teacher there, Vera Katz. And um, she offered me a scholarship to Howard, but I declined that and I just worked with her privately. And she told me that you have it, Chad, you can do this. And um, I cut to 2009, I'm on Broadway and she walks by and sees my picture out in front of the theater. and. She called me and she said, you did it. And I'm like, yeah, I did. You said I could. So, See, that's know. amazing. It's so important when you have, a, you have someone who believes in you and uh, ending up on Broadway. But now, what was your role? I mean, people know your, your big break was from The Wire, but you worked a lot. What was your role when you got, first got to New York? You know, I'm guessing you mm -hmm. left. What, what did you, like, what, were you getting auditions? Is it easier for you to get an agent? Because, you know, sometimes people get an agent like that. Sometimes they can't get agents. What was your path in once you got to New York and started trying to get work? Well, the interesting thing about it, by the time I got to New York, my high school drama teacher was in New York trying to, uh, pursuing his career. So he helped me get my picture and resume and he told me about the backstage. And so the first thing I went out for, I thought I was auditioning for the Cosby show, but it was for, to be a stand-in on the Cosby show. So I had to go to Kaufman Astoria Studios, and the line was around the block, but I got it. Now, initially, you know, there were no cell phones, so we had, you had to call your service. <laughs> and for whatever reason, I didn't think they were going to start on Monday. And so <laughs> I didn't check the service to 11 at night, and they had been calling me saying, you got this, where are you? We're going to have to get someone else if you don't answer, and I never forget, you know, the stage manager saying, hey, man, always check your service. And um, he said, I'm going to get you in here, though. And they did. 
And so um, I became a standing on the Cosby Show. So, you know, was up close and personal with, you know, the illustrious cast. And um, yeah, it was it was an, it was an interesting experience. He told me that it wasn't for everybody. And so for me, it was interesting to be able to watch. I didn't you know, I, I had no uh, concept of how television was done. So all of that was fun and cool and getting to know the cast uh, was fun and cool. And but I wanted to be on the show. So when I found out I couldn't be on the show, I really didn't want to do it anymore because um, I knew how good I was. And they knew, too, because when you're when you're rehearsing, there's monitors in everybody's dressing room and you I'm doing what Theo would do. And so they all knew like oh he's really talented so you know i i just didn't want to uh i didn't want to be there uh, after after a while it, it it just it's like i wanted to perform and when you know you leave on thursday and the stand-in leaves on thursday because on that friday when they tape they don't need you so there was many uh times on the train literally crying like it's not cool, you know. I know I'm really good, and so I just moved on to, you know, I was doing uh, theater, you know, uh, children's theater, commercials, you know. Um, yeah, that's that's what I was doing mostly, off Broadway and uh, you know, children's theater and, and commercials, things like that. Now, how did The Wire come about? It's funny, I just talked to Delaney Williams and the other night, and he said he was, you know, he he only didn't, he didn't know if it was going to be for one show, or he didn't know what. And he said the experience, he had met them before, but how? what was your experience? I've talked to a bunch of guys from the show. What was your experience yeah. of getting that job? Because you were, you were a working actor, but you were in a household yeah, and name I was yet. Doing tour. I was doing a national tour of a play called The Exonerated, and I was in San Francisco, and uh, my, I was separated at the time from my ex-wife, and she brought my daughter out to San Francisco, and we had an amazing time. We decided to get back together. So I said, listen, guys, I'm going I'm to leave the tour. I got to go get a TV show. And uh, when I got back to New York, um, I got an audition. There, wasn't, there, was, there were no sides. You know, they hadn't written the character, so they gave me some other character to read. But they liked the look, they liked the beard, and um, and they wanted to see me again. And and so when I went in, um, I just had an out-of-body experience. We, yeah, I did it once, he gave me an adjustment, I asked him, I just asked him, is he removed? And they said, yeah, yeah, and I understood that, you know, he's a person that's kind of lost in his thoughts, but, and not really present. So um, then they said, okay, yeah, let's do it again. And right before we, I'm supposed to do it, I forgot everything I was supposed to say, which is awesome because it all just came out. And that blew them away because it's not that often that people really have that kind of out-of-body experience. So they said, yo, we really dig you. And it's a matter of whether HBO signs off it took a week, and then HBO signed off, and you know I was off and running. I I knew most of the guys anyway. I was I was roommates with Wood Harris at one point, and um, we were roommates in New York in Hell's Kitchen, and uh, so I knew the show, and I had done a reading with Idris at the Public Theater, and he told me that man, you could be on the wire easily. And at that time, I was clean-shaven. When I'm clean-shaven, I look like a cop. So, you know, you, you don't get those more grittier roles. So the facial hair really helped out. Um, and then I, I just knew so many of them, uh, Andre Royo, and I knew Wendell Pierce, and I had met Michael Kay. And, um, you know, it was my first time meeting Jamie Hector. And, uh, you know, we became, we're friends now. We've been friends ever since, so... Uh, most of the guys I had familiarity with because we were all in New York doing off-Broadway and, you know, the hustle, uh, the, the, the Law and Order episodes and, <laughs> and the New York undercover. <laughs> You're not a real actor unless you did 
New York undercover in law and order. If that ain't on your resume, you, you, you're not a real actor. Now, now what, what was the experience when you went to set? Because you're going to set, you know the guys, you know it's a good show, yeah. you know the writing's yeah. great, you, you know you're going in and you're saying, okay, I'm not going into some crappy show. I mean, an actor always right. gives it all, but sometimes you look at the script and you go, oh, you know. But what was it like? I mean, does it, does it, do you feel a, a more peacefulness when you go in or are you a little more antsy because yeah. you're like, this, yeah. I have to deliver? No. no, completely at home, completely at home. And Idris grabbed me, picked me up, and I, I called them the prophet from that point on because. That had been a year since the time he'd said to me that you could do it, that you could be on the show easily. And um, so he, I remember him picking me up. I'm like, whoa, dude, wait a minute, why are you picking me up? But okay, thank you, brother. And uh, and just seeing Wendell and, you know, David Simon and, and Ed Burns and Nina and George, they're all just down-to-earth, you know, grounded people and, and everybody from... Miss Debbie and makeups and everyone in costume. It was just a, you know, it was a family, uh, family-like vibe to the show. And being from Virginia, this is the the DMV, so you know, um, I was extremely familiar with all of that energy and vibe. And and I understood, I understood the role. And um, yeah, we just hit the ground running, you know great directors and you know everybody from Seath Mann and Ernest Dickerson and um, so it was just a real beautiful experience and brought my family down and you know we, we got the brownstone and you know we just it was an amazing experience it, it truly was now as an actor what do you think you brought to that character what did you bring to Cuddy as an actor I mean in your what did you draw from? Because it was very, he was a complex character and, you, you know, there's a lot going on. Where did you pull from on that? Um, I just, I just, like I said, um, his uncertainty was, his vulnerability was where it was for me. His vulnerability and his aspiration to change his life, uh, which is huge. So, I, you know, I did feel a huge responsibility because I know that most guys are more like Cuddy than they are any of the rest of those characters. They're guys who were in it, spent some time incarcerated, come out, and they're trying to change their lives. So I understood a deep responsibility for that depiction. Um, but it was his depth and the depth and vulnerability of the man that really registered and his heart and, and, and his desire to have a positive impact on a community that he was also part and parcel to wreaking havoc on. So when you, you know, I believe in redemption and I believe in second and third chances. And I believe that you can change your life if you have the, the, the will to do it. And also I was introduced to, um, to Calvin Ford. Calvin Ford runs Upton boxing gym and his life was actually what my storyline, his life was based on the storyline. The name of the character is another dude that was kind of notorious. So they took, you know, they gave him the name of Dennis Cuddy Wise, who was a bona fide killer for real. But they gave me the storyline of Calvin Ford, who had, uh, who used to be involved in the drug trade and was involved in one of the biggest, uh, heroin bust in, in the history of the East Coast. And so he was incarcerated for 16 years and uh, at federal prison and came out and changed his life and began to teach the kids boxing. And you know, today he is the trainer for uh, world champ, uh, Javante Tank Davis. And when I used to go to the gym back then, I would just spend all day, you know, sitting with him and watching him and and watching him interact with the kids. And there was this little seven-year-old boy who was wailing away, punching. <laughs> and we were like, who is that? He said, that's going to be the champ. That's Tank. That's Tank. And uh, it came true. So uh, Calvin was an amazing influence as well. And because he was right there, very available. And it was all live and in living color and true. So 
you know, I definitely wanted to represent him and make him proud as well. And we're still friends to this day. So I just talked to him a couple of days ago. That's great. So, okay, so when The Wire, when the wire ends, you're, you're on this great project. You met the guy you mm -hmm. play. You know, where, where is your mind at? When the wire oh, ends. I thought it was on. I thought it was on. I thought it's over, baby. I got him now. <laughs> the the roles are going to come piling in, baby. They're not going to be able to stop it. The scripts are going to pile up. Um, no, that did not happen. So, <laughs> now how'd you end up on it was, Broadway? It was very humbling. Um, how'd I end up on Broadway? Well, you know, I auditioned for uh, Bartlett Share, and I was in California at the time. And um, I end up booking the role, man. And I love August Wilson. I've I've done majority of his plays. You know, he's just a prolific. He was one of the most prolific playwrights. Period. I mean, African American or not, it, he was he was uh, just a, a real bona fide artist. And uh, he wrote some incredible plays, and um, that always touched me. And you know, I, I love Everyday Man. You know, on a certain scale, you know, Cuddy was like an everyday man. Once, you know, once he turned a corner, you know, became an everyday man. And I love, I love uh, everyday people as heroes, you know, because that's very real, you know. And the size and scale of people's lives, we sometimes look past certain people, but everybody has an amazing story and an amazing opportunity to be heroes and uh so that's what i loved and and joe turner's coming going uh, you know uh harold loomis you talk about complicated brother harold loomis was a deeply complicated character to play so uh i i just simply auditioned bro and ended up getting it that that's that's how that happened and and then the next thing you know, the president of the United States at the former president, Barack Obama, and the first lady are at the show, and we get a standing ovation from them. And then we're all waiting for them to come backstage. But little did we know they couldn't come back because there was only, it's the oldest theater on Broadway, and, and they there was only one exit. So... The Secret Service was like, no, 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 we're not going to have them. We're not going to, because the whole audience has to wait. So they didn't come back. And then I'm coming out of my dressing room, and this woman just comes up to me with tears in her eyes and kisses me in the mouth and says, you're a great actor. They wanted to come back. They wanted to come back, but the Secret Service wouldn't let them. And it was Merle Street. And... <laughs> That yeah, man. Yeah, bro, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, well, Meryl, you're the president of actors, so that's absolutely way more than enough for me that 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 you thought that of the performance. So uh Tell yeah, me, it was I wanted to ask you, what what goes through your mind as an actor when you're your first night on Broadway? I mean, is it is it butterflies? And I know how nervous energy sometimes leads to a better performance. But what went through your mind? Because it's it's Broadway. Well, man, and be honest with you, you know, it, it, that was it was a hell of a role. So we were still working things out. You know, <laughs> first time we went in front of the audience, it was really about trying to calibrate this character in a way to where. Because there's something very accessible about me, you know? And this dude needed to feel absolutely impenetrable. And he's not a people person at all. And he's going through a tremendous amount at the turn of the century. So calibrating it to get really get there, that was the hardest part. Because... I shaved my face, and it's just a, a baby face kind of look to me. And, you know, I had the, the right energy and everything, but it's still, it was still about really calibrating to, to really, really, really unlock the role. So that's what was going on. 
And uh, it took some previews for us to really find it. And I know people go, they think you're just absolutely perfectly ready. And what it felt like in rehearsal is not what it felt like when we got on the actual stage. And so we were working hard, uh, especially myself and Denai Guerrero, because she was in it as well, as well as Anjanu, Ellis, and you know a lot of other amazing people. Um, Ernie Hudson and uh, and Andre Holland and we had a we had a superb cast. Marsha Stephanie, uh, we we had a, a really superb cast. So, but it was it was working to really unlock it, um, to to get it to that place where uh, where people uh, where you felt this real aloofness from him, where people didn't know where he was coming from. You know, and kind of on a certain level, you just, you get no love from the audience. (laughs) You know, it it was, it was a hard, it was a tough role to play. And and, and the only validation, the validation only comes by the end of the play. But you also just, it just so many um, layers of, you know, when you're dealing with race at that time and you're dealing with something called peonage where a black man could be taken off the road if he's by himself and he's got no money in his pocket, they could just arrest him and make him and put him in, in an encampment and make him work for these all these different companies, you know, tobacco or or uh, rice or uh, cotton, you know, all, all of that was very, very real. So it was a heavy heavy, heavy load to carry. And, uh, yeah, it wore me out. <laughs> well, it's funny, you know, you know, you've been on Broadway and the wire and I always, you know, I interview a lot of actors and I, I look at IMDBs and, and when you look up your IMDB, this, this, this is to me a signal that you are very, very talented, which I knew cause I seen you, but if you look at IMDB, you went from, I hate my teenage daughter to the walking dead, which are two completely different roles. How do you, Absolutely. which came, with the the, the, the the sitcom come first? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, to me, that was as close to me being me as I've ever gotten. Except for Clyde, because I am an alien. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's where I was completely typecast. As, as, as Clyde, that's absolutely, I'm an alien all day, every day. But uh, I hate my teenage daughter. That dude, because I'm a father. I was a father, a divorced father. And, you know, my personality, that's my personality. I play all these deep roles in drama and everything, but um, I have a serious sense of humor. And I grew up, humor was a huge part of growing up. And I was like the class clown, and I was the family, you know, Mr. Entertainment for the family. And so all of that got to come out in in that role. And then subsequent roles after that, like uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia and and, uh, the Goldbergs and stuff like that. Now, what's it like on the set of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? I did background for that show once. It was an MMA scene, and I played the ref when they they made that one Tiger Juice. And I I came, not the ref, I was the the guy, and I raised the way in. And it just, it was a very, seemed like a loose set. And then, you know, and I was in another scene earlier when it was um, in a cruise ship and DeVito was in it. What was it like on that set? I mean, because they just seem like fun guys. What you see is what you get. Okay. No, what you see is what you get. That's that's how it is. Yeah, it's loose, it's open, it's fun, it's fast, it's, you know, let's try it this way, let's try it that way. What do you want to try? Okay, let's do what's written, you know. It's just wide open, and the guys are a lot of fun. They what you see is what you get. That's who they are. They they they're playing themselves for sure, and um, you get to show up, and and they trust me because we uh, we, we had done a pilot for uh, for a uh, a sitcom for Fox, and it was going to be their you know network deal at that time. And it was called Boldly Going Nowhere. And, it, and I was like, guys, why why did you name it that, first of all? <laughs> <laughs> I 
you 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 started out the cake wrong. <laughs> um, but you know, it was a spaceship comedy, and and I and I was the security on the ship. Tony Hale was in it. Uh, Lennon Parham, uh, Artemis, and um, and Glenn was was in it as well. And uh, it just didn't go. But having that experience because they didn't, they just knew me from the wire. But Charlie Day was really the one that said, "Well, I love him on the wire, so guess what? We're gonna see him, and let's see what happens." And um, yeah, I ended up beating um, um, what's my man's name? Uh, I ended up beating him out for the role. Uh, uh, he was Creed back in back in the day, and I don't know why I was placing his name. Carl Weathers, man. Yeah. Okay. So I ended up beating Carl out for that one. So. Well, that's that's that was, pretty cool. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> I, I remember seeing him at the audition. I was like, "Oh wow, man! Grew up with this guy. <laughs> we were going for the same role." Okay. And um, yeah, it worked out, and it also worked out in 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 terms of the relationship I have with the guys. So, yeah, we're all very much friends today, and. Charlie was responsible for me getting uh, horrible bosses as the bartender in the all-black club that they came into trying to find somebody to kill their their boss. Um, and, um, yeah, so, and then also they invited me to be a part of Always Sunny. And that was really cool because Danny, Danny DeVito, I'm a huge fan of Danny DeVito's uh, <laughs> for obvious reasons. And uh, the first thing he said is, my family have watched you every Sunday. And he, to find out that he was a fan of The Wire, was like, oh, man, that's just too cool, bro. So, so you, you, have, you have this background in comedy, but after uh, The Teenage Daughter, how did The Walking Dead come about? Because that's, that's completely different. I mean, that's, that's, that's like, you can't get more opposite from a sitcom than The Walking yeah. Dead. Yeah, and the thing I also want to say, though, is when I was, uh, when we were taught, the craft of acting, range was important. You had to be able to play a lot of different roles in school. That was a prerequisite for him, for you being involved. You gotta be able to play more than one thing. So I think that prepared me. People wouldn't even know, like, I was in the odd couple. I was Felix Unger in the odd couple back in that Neil Simon play. And that became a, you know, a hit TV show. So, yeah, range range has always been the thing. Versatility has always been the thing. So what happened was the first I heard of it was people were anticipating Tyrese and who should play it. That was on that was on the internet. And they were already saying that I should play it. It was either me or Idris, and I think there was one other guy, maybe Malik Yoba. Um but Robert Kirkman, uh God bless him, saw me in the wire and said, that's Tyrese. And that's what he told the network. He told AMC. And they said, yeah, okay, cool, but we're going to see other people. He's like, yeah, I know, but it's Chad Coleman. Okay, cool, fine, but we're going to see other people. I know, but it's Chad Coleman. And it played out that way. So I read for it. I read, again, there were different sides. That wasn't the character sides. But I read it once. They came back with one adjustment, and I booked the role. Now, what was it like on that set? Because once again, it's you know, it's a different time. You know, it's it's action. It's a lot of shit. for an actor. What is it like on a set like that? Because you know, when you see it, it's all it's all over the place. Yeah, it's an adrenaline rush, and then you have all these varied personalities coming together, and everybody's passionate everybody's smart everybody's funny you know so you're just having a good time and the action stuff just gets your blood flowing and you know uh we love make-believe so you know who wouldn't want to take a hammer and smash a, a walker in the head of course you do um and then the level of drama and you know sociology involved with the show and how people, you know, what happens to a human being when their backs are up against the wall like that? And how do you maintain love and relationships? And so having someone like uh, Sonequa Martin-Green with me, man, it was it was exquisite, bro. It was beautiful. 
she was my sister right away, even though she told me don't call her baby. And I said, baby, I said, baby, you don't understand. I'm from Richmond, Virginia. We say baby. I don't mean it like that. <laughs> and, and we, uh, we connected right away. And, you know, I mean, Denai was there. And so, like, as soon as I walked on set, she's like, what the F are you doing here? You trying to follow me around because <laughs> we had done Broadway together. And um, everybody else was just warm and inviting. Andrew Lincoln, uh, incredibly warm and inviting. Um, you know, all of the Greg Nicotero and, and uh, you know, uh, Gail Ann Hurd, all you know, uh, Satcher Seamus, Mike Satcher Seamus, uh, he was the DP at the time. It was a very inviting situation. And um, my man, uh, well, I don't know, I shouldn't be spacing on his name either. <laughs> I'm, I'm tired today. Uh, but um, Scott Wilson was just absolutely, it was a dream. It was a dream to work with Scott Wilson. That, that, God rest that legend's soul. I knew who he was, and I know I knew his resume. And for me and him to have moments where we would just find things that weren't in the script, and just looking at each other and just living, living in that deep, you know, just satisfying way as as an actor. It's when you're working with somebody who can talk to you without words. You know, it was it was amazing. So now. How did you know then when you were going to die? Were you expecting it? I always wonder, like, some because everyone says it's that awful when you get called into the producer's room. It's that it's like you sit there and you they want to see you. What happened with uh with your character and did you yeah, see it coming? It, what was going on was, and our fearless leader, uh, you know, he he always, uh, Andrew Lincoln, Big Link was truly the leader of that show, and so. It was happening. People, people were getting killed off and blindsided by it. And he was like, "Yo, this has to stop. You don't understand. People are making decisions about their lives. You've got to tell them." And he campaigned for that, and he made that happen. So uh, I knew, you know, because actually Beth, you know, he everybody was tore up that you know she did not know, and she read that script. It found out that way, and that was just uh, so. I was I was after her, so they called me in, you know, and I didn't see it coming because I was blowing them off. Like, what do you want, man? I'm busy doing my life right now. <laughs> what do you need to talk to me about? <laughs> and it was like, and when I got there, I, I still didn't land. I, I I thought they were joking, and then. Scott Gimple, you know, he teared up, and I was like, oh, wow, okay, this is really real. And then he proceeded to tell me what that episode was going to be like, and I was like, all right, let's roll. I've never been, um, I expect that, and you know what I mean? It's a, it's an industry of uncertainty, and, and longevity doesn't, not everyone is blessed with the kind of longevity that some of the characters on the show were blessed with. So, um, you know, I just value the experience and and I keep it moving. Um, and and I, I I was that that death scene to me stands up to anything that's ever been done in the, in the following eleven or so years. They continued on, so that's why I, it was uh, it was an amazing experience. I always be a part of the family, and it's the gift that keeps on giving. You know, for uh, through cons and. Um, yeah, you just keep it moving, you know. And I feel honored to be in a in a an elite club with um, with Seth Gilliam and um, Lawrence Gilliard. Uh, the only two, you know, the three of us are the only ones who were on The Wire and The Walking Dead. So, see, that's that's good company. Now, now the Orville, how'd that come about? Because I know you did voices in The Family Guy. Was that before the Orville? Is that how you got to know Seth, or how did the mm-hmm. Orville come about? Because because that's a great I think show. Seth was, I think Seth was a bit of bit of a fan to that certain degree, you know. And uh, I tested for Borders, so it was between me and Peter for Borders. And you know, Peter has that voice that you know he could just wake up and read the phone book, and 
you know, and so, you know, you spend a lot of time saying, like, in Sector 12, da 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 you know, so his voice is totally more suited for that. And um, so Peter got that, and then they went, I wasn't in, Clyden wasn't in the pilot. So when it came around for the pilot, they could not find the guy, because most guys don't know the trick to it is, treat it like it's classical theater and, and you'll get it right. And most guys don't, in Hollywood, they don't know that because they've never even been on the stage and never really read a classical play. So he just came and offered it to me. He was like, what are we doing? <laughs> get Chad. Chad's Clyden. And um, it's been a match made in heaven. I, I love that role and I always wanted to be in prosthetics uh, since like uh galaxy quest you know and uh and then and, and that amazing actor he he just recently passed who uh played the alien in that um and you'll find in, in throughout history a bit where you see very strong accomplished serious actors you know taking on the taking on the prosthetic deal and, and playing an alien uh so I was excited about that. And then once we hit the set, the chemistry between Peter and I and the chemistry with um, Seth and the rest of the cast, you know, he just, uh, he's always been nothing but gracious and just floored by my ability. So uh, that, that floored me that, that Seth became that kind of fan of my work. He was just really happy with what I was bringing to that character. Now, have you shot Girls 5 ever yet? I know you're doing a guest. Yeah, I, I, yeah, saw, I read yeah, a guest. I, I really liked that show. Me and my wife watched the first season. And it was just fun. Like, it's one of those when we sat down and we go, let's watch this. It's one of those shows because they're not real. You can watch it in, like, a week. But so I saw you yeah. on it. What was the experience? Because that looks like it'd just be a blast. And and what, who's your character? It is. Absolutely. I'm the lunch lord. <laughs> I'm the love interest of uh, Renee Elise Goldsberry. And... Uh, and Tina Fey, uh, Tina Fey, they showed me the email, and they were just nice enough to do that. And they were like, per casting, and in quotes, it's Tina Fey saying, I love me some Chad Coleman, which floored me. I didn't know. I had no idea. And it's funny stuff, man. And I've seen, I have did ADR work on some of my scenes, and it's fantastic. It's really wonderful. And the chemistry between me and Renee, uh, it was off the chain. And Meredith and, and everyone is incredibly happy about that. And I'm looking forward to going to the uh, premiere of that uh, this coming uh, Sunday. But it is funny stuff. So I'll be introduced in the final two episodes of season two. And then I'll recur in season three. It must be great for you as an actor. Because as you said, you are a trained actor. To be able to go between the lines of comedy and drama. We also, we didn't talk about ex The Expanse, but it, it's something as an actor, really, I always, I've talked to a lot of trained actors and they always, they always say, you know, acting is acting. You know, you're good at it and you learn. And I think it's so, it's so great that, you know, trained actors like yourself still believe in that because, you know, Hollywood's changed a lot. You know, it's some, you know, the way shooting is shot. I mean, how do you feel like looking back? Do you do you still get on stage or is it something you want to do again? Or what what's your view of stage now? I do. No, I do. I, and I did. I was on the stage. I did a small production uh, that a friend of mine had written a play called Socrates. And then I actually turned it into a short as well. Um, but it was no joke. And I was working on All American at the time. And then I was doing four show weekends and I was like who thought of that who said <laughs> it was me and I, I I it took a minute to recalibrate you know the stage is no joke um especially a black box theater kind of deal um and doing two shows uh and also working on another television show at the time it was very taxing um, but I, yes, I would love to get back on the stage. It's just that conundrum of, you know, you got to make Denzel money so you don't have to worry about anything right. else. You know, you can, you can go and 
and then you know uh you, you get an opportunity to just exercise your artistry and not have to worry about the dollar signs and you know in terms of taking care of my family so um at some point i i hope to get back and i and i hope to win a tony to be honest i hope to be able to do the type of role that you know uh will garner that kind of respect you know which is why i have you know crazy amount of respect for denzel and viola and folks like that now what's coming up for you what's what's in the near future for chad besides girls five ever what do you have coming up well, right now I'm working on the LeBron James, uh, LeBron James coming of age story, um, playing one of the coaches uh, that uh, of the school that he did not attend. <laughs> so uh, I'm doing that, and I also, as well as doing Girls Five Ever coming out, and then you know the Orville will be coming out in June, and then I also did uh, some work on the Showtime series Three Women. And I spent a lot of time working with uh, Gabrielle Creevy. Uh, she's going to be a superstar. And that was an amazing experience, too. Just really, when you vibe and bond with people so quickly, you know, uh, it was it was, uh, it was was pretty amazing. That's awesome. I want to thank you for coming on. Where can we find your podcast? Oh, right now it's not up. So uh, you can put... If you go to Humble Hollywood W Chad, you're gonna see the clips. Or you go to my IG, uh, my Instagram at Chad L Coleman. Either of those, you'll be able to see the clips and get a, a, a sense of what we're doing. And we're working on we're working on a deal right now. Okay. That's why we're not putting it all the way out. But we are gonna put up a YouTube channel, so look out for that. Well, that's awesome. People, go check out Chad. Go to IMDb. Look at his his whole great body work and go watch every one of the shows. Watch them all. Watch The Wire and watch The Walking Dead. Just watch what he's doing if you're going to watch The Walking Dead. You don't want to watch the whole time. It says what years he's in. So people, go check out Chad. Uh, people, go to my website, coopertalk.net. You can find over 900 episodes. Email me, cooper at coopertalk.net. Twitter, I'm at coopertalk. Instagram, at coopertalk1. And remember, Steve Cooper, I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water. Eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time. Thank you.